Hi, my name is Dr. Pamela Prince-Pyle. This podcast is something unique. Hope for every season is something we all need, no matter which season we are in. And so we want to offer hope for your health, words for your weariness, and faith for your fears. Because in the end, hope can mean everything. Stick with us. Let's see what our guests source for hope. This is Dr. Pamela, and I am so glad to be with you all today and very excited about our guest. I'd like to introduce Jill Waterman. Jill is probably one of the angels on earth that we hear about. Um, Certainly, she's been an angel in the lives of patients for a long time. She has a background as an oncology nurse. From there, as she was having children, she went to become an OBGYN nurse. And so she went from end of life and serious care to beginning of life and serious care. But then after her children were raised and over the last 10 years, she chose to become a hospice nurse. And I love what she said that she felt like that she was made for this. Over the past 10 years, she's had impact in a lot of lives. Recently, She has completed her educational component of becoming an end-of-life doula, also uh, known as a death doula, and she will finish her certification when she completes her patient care component, but she's already caring for patients as she goes and friends as she goes, and so welcome, Jill. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, Jill is in Columbus, Ohio. She's got that nice little fire going behind her. We're excited that she's nice and warm and here with us today. And so, Jill, just thank you for being with us and thank you for the care that I can imagine you give directly to your patients. Jill and I have had an opportunity to have a few emails and conversations about today. I know if I were in Columbus, Ohio, she is someone I would seek to Mm. um, give care and give advice, but she's also someone I'd like to have as a friend. In fact, I said I needed to be her friend. (laughs) And so Jill, let's start with the beginning of your career as an oncology nurse. During that time, we know that the patient is often in the heat of a battle against their cancer. When you have been caring for patients, how important do you find that hope is in this season in terms of impacting outcomes? I think hope is essential for patients. And a lot of times people come into their diagnosis and they're just devastated, despondent, you know, in shock. Just so many emotions that they experience, anger and fear. Made me think of a young woman that I cared for kind of early in my career. Her name um, was Yvette. She was 17 year old. She was a single mom. So had kind of a difficult life situation to begin with. She was diagnosed with leukemia during her pregnancy. And so that limited some of her treatment options while she was pregnant. After she delivered, she completed treatment and was able to achieve remission. So her cancer was at that point gone. Uh, She was supposed to return for more treatment just to get her 
leukemia, I believe, was a treatable type of leukemia, and she could have, you know, achieved cure is what we were told. But her family, their belief system was that, you know, her faith cured her. She didn't need to come back for any further treatment, that she was healed, and um, so did not come back. Um, her disease returned. She came back into the hospital, just full-blown leukemia and crisis, and wound up being in the hospital for a number of weeks, getting aggressive treatment. Um, she was very fearful, and I think her family was in somewhat of denial. Uh, they were busy caring for her child, and so she had a lot of treatments while we were there, and I happened to be able to be your nurse often while she was in our care. But, you know, we would have conversations about her faith and if these treatments didn't work and where she was going to go when she died. And her hope, she did have hope, even amidst the fear that there was something after this life, she believed in heaven and believed she would go there. And uh, she wound up having a really aggressive treatment that there were a lot of potential side effects, um, potential of her going into anaphylactic shock. And so she had to be monitored very closely when she had that treatment. And she asked if I would come in and sit with her and read her mm. Psalms and pray with her. So we just developed a really close relationship over that time. Unfortunately, the treatment didn't work. And she did die um, not long after that. I think her belief in heaven and eternal life did give her hope. And I believe she was able to come to an acceptance that she was not going to make it in this life and be healed. I am a firm believer that healing can come to people, not only through physical cure. You know, people are always praying, oh, to be healed, to be healed. But I think spiritually, that's the most important thing, to find spiritual healing and come to peace with what happens after this life. And mm -hmm. when you're facing your mortality, you come face to face with what it does come after this life. And so uh, I was very thankful that I knew she, that someday I'll see her again, that someday we'll be reunited in heaven such a heart-wrenching story and I can speak to that place of patients that have been diagnosed with a serious cancer or other serious potentially terminal disease and as anyone would expect we all hope for healing we hope for cure then we begin to hope for remission and even just time, but as time passes and if cure or remission are not available to us, it's so powerful to still have hope in what comes in that last breath and mm -hmm. after that last breath. And so I can just imagine that hope evolves in that season 
just like hope evolves in every season and how we need it, regardless, it's part of our makeup of our soul is to have hope. Through your years of working with hospice, you still felt called to care for patients up to and including their their death. When I'm talking with a patient's family and we are making a decision about stopping treatment, I describe this to families as a paradigm shift. And how do we help someone go from the mindset of more treatment in an attempt to live longer, longer to how do we help someone die well? And this conversation takes a lot of time. It takes intuition. There's usually a lot of questions that follow it. And then you are seeing them once they make that decision that hospice is appropriate uh, for them. And I would imagine that sometimes there's almost a peace for the family and, and the patient that is battle weary. Are you, do you see them having peace or are they uncomfortable at that time with their decision? I think for, for the patient, especially I've seen more peace with them. I think a lot of times they're fighting because their family doesn't want them to give up. But I think when they're, when they realize, oh, I don't have to do this anymore. I, like mm-hmm. you said, battle weary. I'm exhausted. These treatments, you know, just the um, suffering sometimes that the treatments can bring. I think they're just, yeah, sort of a sense of relief, especially for those who have faith and know that there's something after this life. I had a um, good friend, a couple that my husband and I know of, and uh, they lived overseas. They uh, worked overseas, and he was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of lymphoma and returned to the States um, to have treatment here. He fought hard for a year and a half, really just loved life, loved, had family here. His three children were here and just felt like there was more that God had for him to do in this life. So he fought also knowing where he would go after he died. He believed he would go to heaven. But uh, was it a teaching hospital, very aggressive treatments, very, you know, he must have had four or five different treatments. And they thought, okay, this one didn't work. We've got something else that we can try. This one didn't work. We've got something else to try. And the last resort, he wound up being entered into an experimental treatment that was showing very promising results. Um, There had only been 19 other patients that had had this treatment, but they all had a very positive outcome. So Kevin went in thinking, okay, this is it. This is the one that, you know, I'm going to have more time. Maybe I won't be healed, but I'm going to have more time to do the things that I feel like God's called me and gifted me to do. And unfortunately, that treatment also did not work for him. So he became very ill, was hospitalized. The family, you know, I went to visit them in the hospital. And to me, it was obvious that he was really close to 
entering that active dying state. We talked a little bit about that, that his health was declining, that things weren't working. Began talking about what, what do you want now? But um, the staff at the hospital hadn't quite talked to him about hospice yet. So the next day, his wife called me and said, would you please come and talk with, with us, with our kids and their spouses and just answer our questions about hospice and what we can expect. And so I went in there. It was a very frank conversation. And Kevin was like, yeah, I'm ready for that. I don't want to do this anymore. And um, so they decided you know, we said, what do you want? What do you want to do now? And he's like, I want to go home. And so things moved quickly. There, there was a huge, quick paradigm shift, like you were talking about. That Okay, we're now going from aggressive treatment to we're done and we need to get, you know, him comfortable quickly. Because things just started speeding up really quickly. And, and it was obvious that he was entering that active dying state. So he got home, hospice got on board. Um, it wasn't our hospice because for some reason that didn't work out with insurance and all that. But I did get a chance to go over there shortly after he got home, which was the next day. And it's just such an overwhelming time. That first few days of hospice, just getting things set in place, and so I just wanted to go over and make sure, you know, he had questions answered, that he had what he needed, um, just helped get him comfortable and just encourage the family with what they were doing. They were doing a fantastic job. And he was at peace being home. But within the short time I was there, he took a very quick turn. It was obvious he was dying. The family, we were all, you know, they were all around the bed and I was there and Kevin became very restless and wanted to get out of bed, wanted to sit on the side of the bed. And his, his sons were there and I said, let's sit him up because he wasn't comfortable even just sitting up in bed. He, he needed to get on the side of the bed. So as we were sitting up, it, there was something happened and he was dying right then his, you know, his coloring had changed. And mm. I said to them, he is dying now. And, um, I, I think God was like, get Sarah over here where I was. Cause I was kind of propping them up and his kids were on either side of them. And I said, Sarah, come, come over here. And so she was able to hold him and, support him as he kind of leaned back into her arms and um, just, yeah, you know, it took a couple minutes before he took his final breath, but I feel like it was able to provide a sense of the family being such a part of that is as quick and as difficult as that was. Um, I believe it was a good death and they, we're able to have um, peace about that, mm-hmm. getting them and being around them. And, you know, you mentioned a good death and, 
and I've written a lot about a good death and uh, a good death is not an event. It's a lifestyle. And while death is never easy, it doesn't have to be, dying doesn't have to be a time for suffering. And a good death is a reflection of a life lived with meaning and purpose and living as if death could come tomorrow. But our best death um, is what happens after that final breath. And so I need to share um, our faith and how hope comes through that. But as I've thought of all those patients you had to have seen over the past few years, I'm even more amazed knowing that you're working towards becoming certified as an end-of-life doula. And could you explain uh, for our listeners what the difference is between a hospice nurse um, who is caring for patients at end of life and an end of life doula? And when I mention the term doula, we might know that from having a doula at birth, a birth doula, someone that helps uh, a woman go through her end of pregnancy and laboring and early post-pregnancy, but The concept of of end-of-life doula is relatively new, but you want to do that also, which uh, I just find incredible. So share with us what that means exactly. So um, a a doula differs from a hospice nurse in that a doula is a non-medical role. A doula can spend, I feel like, more concentrated time with the patient and they do a variety of things uh, other than maybe what a nurse might do. Um, You can provide companionship. If someone wants to do a legacy project, something that they could leave their family for their family Mm -hmm. to remember them by, whether it's, you know, making a scrapbook, uh, writing letters to their children, creating something artistically to leave to their family. You can help someone identify some of their personal goals of what they want to do with the time that they have left. You can help people come up with a vigil plan. Like, what do I want those last few days or weeks of my life to look at? Mm. Or to, who do I want to be there? Who do I not want to be there? What do I want the setting to be like? Do I want aromatherapy? Do I want music? What kind of music might I want? Um, what kind of blankets and sheets and do I want um, lavender on my pillow or just different things like that. Mm-hmm. You can educate the family and, and the person of what is this going to be like? Like what can I expect as, as death approaches, you know, what are the symptoms I'm going to have? What can I do or my family do or, what can I request the hospice to do to make me as comfortable as possible? Mm-hmm. You can help people with funeral planning and just provide uh, just physical presence when someone's actively dying and also do some short-term bereavement work with the family. So as a hospice nurse, as much as I love that, and I'll still continue, I think, working part-time, doing that as a hospice nurse maybe I only have a couple hours a week 
with each patient. Whereas this, you can tailor to the person's needs. Um, maybe you're with them just a couple hours a week. Maybe you're there more as things draw near to the end for them of their life. Mm-hmm. And where would um, someone go or how do they reach out to see if there's uh, doulas available in their area? In the area. Um, there is a um, national directory that, or it's actually an international directory that Enelda puts out, the International End of Life Doula Association. So mm-hmm. if people are familiar with doulas, they can contact them and find out, you know, a person maybe that lives in their area. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I would love to know about your hope. You, you, you have a great sense of humor um, <laughs> and you're working with um, those who deeply need those with hope. Tell me your source of hope and um, how you give that to others. I think, yeah, absolutely you have to have hope in the midst of this type of work. I feel like if you can't, it's such a scary time of life for so many people, you know, just thinking about, yeah, just thinking about your mortality and death my husband, my poor husband and my family, you know, I think because of being in hospice and then getting interested in this doula work, my mom's always like, Oh, that's so morbid. Don't talk about that. But, you know, I have my whole team lined up. My friends each know what their role is going to be when I'm dying. And so they know they have to fulfill that, but they all want me to outlive them so that I can be their, their personal hospice and doula nurse But I, yeah, I feel like this, you'd mentioned earlier, you know, I feel like this is a calling. I feel like this is something that God designed me to do, something that doesn't, it just feels natural to be with people when they're dying and it's not scary for me. And I believe that my hope comes from my faith in God. And often I talk to patients that, you know, this life is not all there is, that there is, I I believe there is a heaven. I believe there is a choice that we make to accept God's gift, um, his free gift of salvation and forgiveness through his son's death on the cross for us. Um, I feel like that there is significant and perpetual work in heaven after this life that it's not going to just be floating around in a cloud eating you know grapes and harps and all that and maybe there will be some of that chilling out with people but um (laughs) yeah but this life is kind of a training ground for maybe what we'll be doing in heaven uh yeah so i i agree mm -hmm. i think um it's more than we can imagine. And also it's not going to be boring. <laughs> um, and I just love having you as a guest. And as you know, our podcast is called hope for every season. 
And so we want to ask each of our guests, considering that title, what is your favorite season of the year and why? I love spring because um, I just, I'm reminded of how, what a wonderful artist God is and just the colorful flowers and the variety of birds. We um, live near a field and we love to feed the birds and we just get so many birds that pass through during migration. Um, And I, yeah, just all the colors and when things turn green, especially in Ohio, we have very distinctive four seasons. So it's very obvious one day things are eh, kind of green. You know, there are things that I've become aware of over the last few years are there are these things called monkey orchids that are in these very remote, remote places in the world that probably not until recently do we even discover them, you know? Really? Yeah. And they're really tiny, but they're, it looks like a monkey face. They're so cute. And then, (laughs) but you know, you're like, no one knew they were there or peacock spiders. They're these teeny tiny spiders, but when they're threatened, they have sort of this peacock kind of thing happen with them. And, I don't think they were discovered till recently and these very remote things. And I just think, you know, God didn't have to create those things, but I think he created them for his own enjoyment. And we now, we get to enjoy those things too. So that is beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today. Thank you, Jill, for your time on this wintry Friday afternoon and We look forward to hearing from you again, and definitely I'll be praying for your work. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It was just so fun to meet you, finally, and read your book. I can't wait till it comes out so I can hand it out to everyone. Well, thank you, and you have a great afternoon. All right. You too, Pamela.